This is the Bible in one year, day 152. Wow! Judah Smith is a delightful young Pentecostal pastor from Seattle, Washington. He's one of the best communicators that I've ever heard, especially to young people. When listening to others, his favorite expression is, wow! For him, it's an expression of respect, awe, and reverence. There are many blessings to living in Western Europe in the 21st century. However, we live in a society in which respect, awe, and reverence do not seem to be as valued as they once were. Proverbs 13 and 14 Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Trouble pursues the sinner, but the righteous are rewarded with good things. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. An unplowed field produces food for the poor, but injustice sweeps it away. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. The righteous eat to their heart's content, but the stomach of the wicked goes hungry. Proverbs chapter 14 The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. Whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly, but those who despise him are devious in their ways. A fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength of an ox come abundant harvests. Respect. A culture of respect underlies the book of Proverbs. We see three examples in this passage. First, respect for the Lord. An honest life shows respect for God. The word fear is probably best understood as respect. Respect for the Lord is the starting point for respect in all other relationships. Second, respect for the wise. Choose carefully whom you spend time with. Whoever walks with the wise grows wise. Wise speech evokes nothing but respect. Our society increasingly devalues the wisdom that comes with age. Wisdom often, though not always, comes through the experience of a long life. There's a huge amount of untapped wisdom in older people. Third, respect in the home. A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining them. This teaching has sometimes been abused by an over-literal interpretation. What the book of Proverbs is encouraging is a culture of respect in the family, respect for parents, and also respect for children, which involves loving discipline. Lord, help us to gain wisdom and to model good family life, combining love and respect. New Testament, John 20 Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? 
Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Oh, Jesus really was raised from the dead. The tomb really was empty on Easter morning. Jesus' followers really did meet him alive again. The resurrection did happen. The best historical explanation for the origin of Christianity is that it really is true. Jesus is alive today. John records four resurrection appearances of Jesus, the first three of which are in this passage. In these appearances, we see not only some of the evidence, but also some of the results of the resurrection. First, awe and amazement. There's something indefinably first-hand about the account of Jesus' appearance to Mary. There is nothing quite like it in all ancient literature. In the culture of the day, a woman's testimony would not have been considered as weighty as that of a man. If the disciples had been making this up, they would not have devised the first appearance as being to Mary Magdalene. Jesus does not make a triumphal appearance to signify his victory. He appears to Mary, 
the loved one, the forgiven one, alone in a garden with gentle love. This shows a huge amount about Jesus' respect for women. By this act and others during his life on earth, he laid the foundation for a revolution in the world's attitude to women. Sadly, it's taken 2,000 years and we're still not there yet. Jesus does not ask Mary what she's looking for. He asks, who is it that you're looking for? Mary's response is one of awe and amazement. As she realized it was Jesus, she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. He explains to her that she must not try to hold on to him. She must begin a new, more internal relationship with the risen Jesus. He in her and she in him, which will be fulfilled with the gift of the Spirit. It's not enough to know the evidence of the facts of the resurrection. We need a personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Second, joy and peace. The world is desperately searching for happiness and peace of mind. The supreme source of joy and peace is a relationship with Jesus. Mary rushed off to tell the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Jesus' appearance to the disciples brought them overwhelming joy. Three times he says to them, Peace be with you, the inner peace that flows from his presence. Faith in Jesus brings joy and peace to all who believe. Jesus said to Thomas, Blessed and happy and to be envied are those who've never seen me and yet have believed. In this short encounter, Jesus transformed the group of frightened, confused individuals into a community of love, joy and peace. Third, purpose and power. Jesus gives them a new sense of purpose. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The resurrection is the message of hope for the world. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. There is life beyond the grave. This gives your life on earth a whole new meaning and purpose. You're sent out by Jesus to proclaim this message to the world. Finally, he also gave them power. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. The Holy Spirit provides the strength and authority to forgive. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you. He gives you the power of his Holy Spirit and the power of his word to declare the message of God's forgiveness to human beings. This is the message that brings eternal life. Fourth, respect and reverence. Thomas was a cynic, skeptical and full of doubt. I think I would probably have had the same response as him when he said, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. He must have felt so humbled when Jesus appeared to him and said, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. The wounds of Jesus are there for all time to reveal the humble and forgiving love of Jesus. Jesus accepts Thomas just as he is. He accepts his challenge without complaint or criticism. Do not feel guilty about having doubts. Like Thomas, be honest about your doubts and bring them to Jesus. When Jesus answered his doubts, Thomas's response was the pinnacle of respect, reverence and awe. He said, My Lord and my God, from a place of having doubted, Thomas makes perhaps the strongest statement of Jesus' divinity in all the Gospels. He's the first person to look at Jesus and call him God. He said in effect, oh, Wow! 
Jesus went on to tell him that belief leads to blessing. In fact, it leads to life. Belief and life go hand in hand in John's Gospel because if you believe in Jesus, you have life. This is real life of high quality, an abundant life that goes on forever. John's whole reason for writing his Gospel was so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The resurrection is the basis of our hope for life before death as well as beyond it. Jesus, my Lord and my God, today I worship you with awe and reverence. Old Testament, 2 Samuel 1 and 2. After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honor. Where have you come from? David asked him. He answered, I have escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened? David asked. Tell me. The men fled from the battle, he replied. Many of them fell and died. And Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Then David said to the young man who brought him the report, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, the young man said, and there was Saul leaning on his spear with the chariots and their drivers in hot pursuit. When he turned round and saw me, he called out to me, and I said, What can I do? He asked me, Who are you? An Amalekite, I answered. Then he said to me, Stand here by me and kill me. I'm in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I knew that after he had fallen he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm, and have brought them here to my Lord. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan, and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who brought him the report, Where are you from? I am the son of a foreigner, an Amalekite, he answered. David asked him, Why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of his men and said, Go, strike him down. So he struck him down, and he died. For David had said to him, Your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan, and he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jasha. A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel. How the mighty have fallen! Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. Mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain. May no showers fall on your terraced fields. For there the shield of the mighty was despised, the shield of Saul, no longer rubbed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, 
The bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle! Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. How the mighty have fallen! The weapons of war have perished. 2 Samuel chapter 2 In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? he asked. The Lord said, Go up. David asked, Where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. So David went up there with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David also took the men who were with him, each with his family, and they settled in Hebron and its towns. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David, king over the tribe of Judah. When David was told that it was the men from Jabesh-Gilead who had buried Saul, he sent messengers to them to say to them, The Lord bless you for showing this kindness to Saul your master by burying him. May the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness, and I too will show you the same favor because you have done this. Now then, be strong and brave, for Saul your master is dead, and the people of Judah have anointed me king over them. Reverence David's attitude to Saul is a wonderful example of how to respond to those who try to do you harm. David did not seek revenge. He was not bitter. He treated Saul with the utmost respect. After all, God had used Saul greatly in the past. The fact that Saul had gone off the rails did not erase David's respect. His attitude to Saul was quite extraordinary. He said to the Amalekite, who claimed to have finished off Saul, Why were you not afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? The Amalekite may well have been trying to benefit from what would have been a perversion of the facts. He may have been a human vulture who took the royal insignia from Saul to gain favour with David. In any event, it did him no good because of David's reverence for Saul. David grieved over the death of his great friend Jonathan and over Saul. Grief is a natural, necessary and healthy response to the death of those we love. Supremely, David reverenced God. He inquired of the Lord. He asked, Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? The Lord answered, Go up. He then asked, Where shall I go? The Lord answered, To Hebron. David obeyed and was anointed king over the house of Judah. Lord, help me to love and respect all those you have anointed in leadership roles, whether they support us or whether they don't. Help me to live a life of reverence, respect and awe. Pippa adds, in John 20, verse 10, it's so interesting that of all the people Jesus appeared to, he chose to appear first to Mary Magdalene. He didn't go to his senior disciples or even his mother. 
but rather to a woman whom no one in the world rated as important.